Welcome to On Culture. On this podcast, we talk about culture and faith and the world and our place in it. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our work and explore all of our content on our website, theembassy.substack.com. Here's Mike. Hello again. Welcome to On Culture. My name is Mike Sherman. Uh, I am your host, uh, talking to you today with Chris Bantz, who's pastor of uh, the uh, St. Charles Expression of Calvary Church, soon to be known as New City Church. Uh, maybe it already is known as New City Church. I, I don't know. It's on its way to being known. We, so we, <laughs> we, we just became legally... Uh, New City Church yesterday. Awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. All right. New City we Church. Legally now New mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I wanted to talk uh, with Chris on this one because there's sort of a generational element. Uh, if you've had a chance to read the piece, The End of History isn't here yet. Um, it talks about some, some Cold War elements and some stuff from my childhood and just before, just after, and just how different things are or maybe... Maybe they're not as different, but we expected them to be different or so on. So, um, so yeah, so we've got uh, um, it, quite a different... You were born in what year? 94. 94. So you were mm-hmm. born after the Gulf War. I mean, a lot of the uh, markers that I have in the piece, you were born after, uh, right? Yeah. So you were born... My dad... My dad was in the Gulf War, so he came home after the Gulf War, and then I came to be. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. fully one generation removed. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I mentioned in there that uh, when I was a kid, small child, let's say, I don't know, five or six, um, we were, you know, only 15 years from the Korean War, roughly speaking, ending, and roughly 25 years from World War II ending. Uh, And, you know, all of that was, uh, like I said, I think the Korean War ending translates to, um, you know, two or three years into How I Met Your Mother. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the World War II ending, you know, translates into maybe the final season of Seinfeld. So, like, we're farther away from, uh, all of those, like those cultural markers that don't seem that far away, then the world was different, in other words, and we were in the Cold War. So what are your, when you, um, Cold War, what are your thoughts, your experiences, spy movies, you know, what? what's your, when you, when you hear Cold War, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's impossible for me not to see it with hindsight and based on movies and readings and, uh, history courses, uh, you know, you, you kind of, the, the mythology of what the USSR was and how um, so many aspects of it were far more brittle than what met the eye at the time of the Cold War. You know, I look back and it's like, oh, we were never really in jeopardy there. Like we were definitely the superior world power and, um, you know, I, I've been to Berlin, and so I, I've seen things like the Berlin Wall and, and kind of the the remains of some of those artifacts. But, um, yeah, I've never had uh, even the opportunity to have the same amount of uh, fear or anxiety or uncertainty mm-hmm. that probably existed, especially earlier in the, the Cold War. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, did you know that there were duck and cover drills in schools in the 50s and early 60s? I mean, had you heard? Yeah, that before? yeah. No, I'm very aware. Like it, like an earthquake drill almost, but for <laughs> for a nuclear a nuke. bomb, which I don't think your desk <laughs> is probably helping you, uh, to be honest. But uh, I think they were trying yeah. to manage fear, right? So and you lived in a <laughs> world where, I mean, it's interesting that people' perception of, you know, the 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 Soviet bloc countries were very repressive. People were killed gulags you know prisons you know all of that stuff um and you know there were nuclear tests there was you know hydrogen bomb tests um and uh yeah people were sort of freaked out people remembered a world war i mean people who were older you know who were like young like your mm-hmm. age at that time would have remembered you know world war and it wouldn't have seemed so crazy that the world could plunge into war again, only this time it would be, you know, destruction. And, uh, it's, but now as you're talking about it, um, see when I was your age, I still would have, I would have been an engineer and I still, the cold war still would have been going on, I think, uh, or mm-hmm. yeah, almost ending, but you didn't know it was almost ending. I mean, that was a thing. It ended quite mm-hmm. suddenly. So it's not like you knew, um, it was yeah. going to end. Um, and, David Hasselhoff ended it, right? Yeah, David Hasselhoff. We have him to thank. Yeah, um, uh-huh. yeah so it, it's, uh, so, you know, obviously the world changed quickly. And now hearing you talk about that, obviously you're talking about it in the, in the past tense. Mm-hmm. Like we were afraid the world was going to end. And I do feel like that pe- people even – you know, my age or older who remember, you know, that we, we, the sense that we're all, we're past all of that is pretty strong. And I think it, especially we're with younger mm-hmm. people, like that's ancient history. And that was long before I was born. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that's super accurate. Like for me, I can't even imagine um, a world war or, a scenario in which I actually think, at least at the current state of things, that um, even America as a world power is in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Like, post the atomic bomb, it, it's hard to imagine anything that's not a Cold War or a proxy war. Like, it is, I, I really can't fathom with the technological advancements and everything that's happened, a, a true world war between the, the world powers, like, duking it out. Um I would say for my generation, like uh, things like climate change are actually way more of an anxiety than the world powers mm-hmm. actually like plunging into World War Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, obviously, countries still have nuclear weapons pointed at each other. Yeah, um, that's still a thing. Um, you know, I remember being a counselor at the old. Uh, Calvary Children's Camp, or being the pastor, and was right next to, I think, Whiteman Air Force Base, where they had B- mm. they had B twos there, which you know B twos carry nuclear weapons, and uh, and obviously that would have been a target, uh, you know, it was kind of ground zero, you know, so, um, uh, you know, and that that world still exists, but we kind of moved on, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then here we are, Russia invades Ukraine, which nobody thought 
would happen. Mm-hmm. I think nobody thought would happen, but there's a sense of there was no real uh nobody had inside information i i think people were just like well we don't live in that world we're, you know na- you know nations don't invade nations anymore it's just not a thing that happens yeah but it actually did happen and it is happening um and yeah. and then the balloon uh or balloons you know floats over uh which um you know freaked some people out like what is this thing um uh so what was your response to the balloon <laughs> well, the very first thing I saw was that, you know, there's a balloon over America. Chinese government claimed that it's a meteorological balloon. Right. So at first blush, I was like, well, that's hilarious. I mean, they'll, they're just, they'll make up anything right. at this point. Right. So I, I guess I was, um, I don't know, cynical enough to immediately think like this was espionage sure. uh, activity. Sure. And then the meme sort of started pouring in, right? like the balloon over Missouri and there's like rednecks throwing, you know, beer cans or shooting at it. And then it almost became a point of comedy. But um, yeah, I don't know. See, I I think I'm young enough to where it doesn't really, um, to be honest, I don't have a ton of anxiety about it. Yeah. I think it's, it's Um, potentially a reminder that, yeah, there are world powers that are hostile, you know, spying on each other, something obviously we knew, but it's sort of a visible reminder. Um, and probably hits different generations differently. Um, you know, your I think this generation, uh, your generation and the one prior to it, really, obviously didn't grow up with any of that. And yet there's, you know, they're afraid of different things, as you mentioned. Uh, climate change. Mm-hmm. But also it seems like um, my impression of uh, the millennial, it would have been the millennial generation, probably the crash of 2008 had like a huge impact, uh, on them. Uh, mm-hmm. but it seemed like a similar sort of thing. Like, it, you know, it was a, it was a economic downturn. It was a great recession, but like these things happen and it just happened to happen. Yeah. It just hadn't happened in their lifetime. And it's like, mm-hmm. it is a sense of, well, I thought we were, thought we were beyond all of that. Uh, pandemic sort of yeah. fits into that you know the coronavirus uh uh you know i didn't think we would actually be in a place where we'd have be impacted by uh, you know worldwide you know virus or whatever so what do you what do you think in terms of the general level of anxiety among young people when you they you look at the world think about the future mm-hmm. look at the institutions that are supposedly in charge, you know? Yeah. I think it's incredibly high, the anxiety level, just in a different way. So a couple examples of this, um, Haley and I have a friend who um, will never have children. And the reason isn't that she might not enjoy children or doesn't want to go through the process of childbearing. It's that um, the world, and, and some of this is tied to climate change, but for, for her, Um, but like the world is just such a scary place. Like she does not want to bring more humans into it for her. Um, also I think because of nine 11, because of mass shootings, there is a odd anxiety about public places. I think that would have never existed like even 50, 75 years ago. Um, 
I mean, I was in third grade when 9-11 happened. Yeah. So it's a very vivid memory of all the adults in my school building freaking out, right? Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the maybe the first instance of that. But there's been other sense where if you see a person in a movie theater or in a public place that you think looks off kilter, there's a little bit of a anxiety to that, that I, I think that's a fairly new uh, phenomenon as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's still incredibly high. And then when I think about uh, the view of America or the West or um, world powers engaging, like, I think our anxiety is actually not that like Red Dawn is going to happen. I don't think that's really on anyone's radar. It's more of like, are we going to implode from right. the inside out? Right. Like, is our liberal democracy going to burn right. to the ground? Yeah. I think that's is, more of the anxiety. Right. Is the economy going to crash? Is the government going to fail? Yeah. Um, so I do think there's a, you know, uh, I mean, it, it, there's an odd juxtaposition, at least for me, you know, thinking back, like the duck and cover drills, we're sort of trying to put a sunny and happy face on the potential uh, of nuclear destruction, which is absurd. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously, hey, just we'll just do this if we get a nuclear attack. We'll just get under our desk. Um, and it was sort of trying to put a happy face on, on something. Um, and now I do think there's a, uh, the idea that, yeah, things aren't handled, you know, that nobody seems like they're really in charge. The future is uncertain. Um, impacts, I think, different generations differently, but I think the younger generation is feeling as though um, my sense is, you let me know, that the world is was sort of recently ruined, uh, mm. right? And... Um, before you know 50 years ago or whatever you know it wasn't this bad but now you know the generation prior the boomers or the gen xers mm -hmm. failed and now uh the, the world is recently ruined is that i mean that's a that's a vibe i've gotten from young people <laughs> uh is that true yeah yeah i i think some of that is um, an individualistic immediate response to uh, my grandparent could buy a home right. for a reasonable amount right. with one salary. And now yeah. I'm a two income household. I can barely afford a home mm -hmm. or an apartment. So some of that is like the individual you know, kind of doom of the moment. Yeah. Um, but I do think there's just a massively heightened awareness I mean, um, the amount of data and the amount of news that we're able to intake because of the internet, yeah. you know, not to say you wouldn't get reports back in the day of horrible things happening in other places in the world, but it, wasn't it seems like there's not a whole, it wasn't the there's not a horrible thing in the world that happens that we don't know about. Right, immediately. It, you know, that's kind of the, yeah. the feeling. I know that. I mean, I looked up. I looked this up for some other reason a while back, uh, you know, in the seventies, there were all these radical groups and there was bombings and there were like thousands of them in the seventies. And I don't remember, I remember them being a thing, but not like if there were thousands of bombings now, uh, it, yeah. it would be, you know, it's all you'd hear about. Right. Uh, so I do think that mm -hmm. there is part of this, the saturation of information. Um, 
So, I mean, so one of my one of my points, and I kind of like to hear what you think, is um, that it, particularly for, uh, I mean, there's sort of a happily ever after, at least for you know older Christians. I think that, um, you know, I'm going to say it in a in a crass and sort of overly caricatured way, but that you know now that we're Christians, you know we're sort of owed a good life in a, in a happy retirement. And, and I'm mad that I'm not getting it. Um, Mm -hmm. and that feeds into more anger and whatever. I think for younger generations, it seems like high, high anxiety, a sense that, I mean, a long, long with this right of safetyism where this, Mm -hmm. um, this view that we can make the world safe and we should make the world safe and the world should be safer. Uh, And it seems like both viewpoints are wrong. Like the world isn't safe and nobody owes. I mean, that's not what Christianity doesn't owe you a comfortable life. It's the opposite. Right. Um, And you know what some, the mismatch of the expectations of life different generationally, but uh, with what life really is. And I do think in the church, we should have a clearer view of what life really is. And we don't often. Mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, I do think, um, yeah, there's just such a, um, there is a, a tradition trajectory or uh, a progress, maybe a better word, that is expected of if I play the right parts or I play the right pieces and I do this and I do that. And if I'm, you know, faithfully following Jesus or, you know, whatever, then for the most part, yeah, there's going to be suffering, but it should turn out pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, right. I think that I, th- I think even in American Christianity, there's like a, yeah, we know we have to suffer, but there's still an overwhelming expectation of like things overall on the whole will go well. Um, And so it's kind of like a qualifier to the suffering where I don't think we actually expect things to get too out of hand, Um, which I think part of the reason why like COVID was so crazy because like we just, so many of us had like in January, it was almost a joke of like, Oh, this isn't going to happen. And then come March, like it did, right. it, it's like we don't let our brains go to the scale that um, we don't, you know, we don't want. Yeah, I think that yeah, somehow that bad thing will be prevented from happening. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, yeah, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, yeah. And I think it's also our definitions of suffering, too. Like, I think in the American church we've relegated suffering almost exclusively to uh, social ostracism or um, something tied to a political or a cultural, cultural or social um, dislike, um, you know, true economic or physical suffering. It's not something that really is on our right. radar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I do think there is an expectation of stuff of life that is is unrealistic. I, even the you, know, you mentioned the you know the the grandparents could be a one income pa- family and buy a home, and now it's 
two, yeah. two incomes and so on. And, you know, I'm older. So my view of that is, yeah, but your grandparents' home was small and all the kids, yes. all the kids shared <laughs> rooms. You know, there was one shared bedroom for yeah. all the kids and they didn't have a brand new car. And, you know, the, the standard of living has, has skyrocketed, right? And so there's an expectation yeah. that, I'll have a certain level of wealth that an earlier generation didn't have the same expectation. So there's this mismatch of mm-hmm. how life should yeah. go. And then there's a sense of, man, it's injustice that I'm not getting this life. Right. And, mm-hmm. and there, it seems like all of that fuels anger, outrage, extremism. Like I'm really getting victimized here. I'm really having a bad you know, situation when Really, the world is messed up, but it's, you know, it was messed up 50 years ago. It was messed up 100 years ago. You know, not even arguably, it was more messed up. You know, people mm-hmm. lived, yeah. you know, three decades, you know, less, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and I just, I do remember, like I was, we were uh, in Ethiopia uh, a few years back, you know, trying to get one of the pastors there, a young baby daughter some sort of medical care she had a heart condition we tried to get her to different countries you know get her to israel and we just ran out of time and she died and there's a sense of i just thought we lived in a world where that sort of stuff doesn't happen but it it happens in most of the world even now right and there's this mismatch of what life is and how we're experiencing it and how we kind of get into this expectation of a good life whatever that is and i just feel like there is that's very much at odds with what the church should be um demonstrating to the world and communicating about whatever the a good life is um you know do you you agree and then why do you think that is and what what do we do about it Yeah. So like in the piece, you know, Jesus reiterates several times, right? You're not going to know the day or the hour. Like the, the work is not in predicting the day or the hour. Uh, The work is, you know, the great commandment and the great commission Mm -hmm. every day of your life. Um, And so there's, you don't know the day or the hour of Christ coming when, you know, glory is going to be inaugurated. Um, but, you know, also we don't know the day or the hour where the bottom's going to fall out of society, culture, right. politics, whatever, you know, like I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of massive events in human history where the day before they couldn't have even imagined what was going to happen the next day. Right. And so I think there's a long-term view of you don't know the day or the hour. So get to work. Like, don't look back at the plow. The, those people aren't fit for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But then there's also just maybe we get to a place where we hold what we have more loosely, um, which I know is really hard. Like, that's easy said, but harder done. But it's like we don't know the day or the hour of of anything that's going to happen, that's going to be a major historical human event. And so we just need I, – I think we need as a church to be a little wary of – do we ever get to the, are we to the point where we exhale and we say, okay, everything's great. Now let's just hope this 
doesn't get messed up yeah. for the next, yeah. I don't know, 100 years, yeah. as long as I'm alive, yeah. right? I hope nobody screws it up. Yeah, so I think, yeah. I mean, I just, all of that sort of is circling around this idea of a life of faith, a life where faith is required, mm-hmm. and it seems like we kind of want something other than that. I mean, we want to say faith is good, so we want a life of faith in some general, generic sense. But faith also means living with uncertainty and not knowing what's going to happen and trusting God for a future that might not be pleasant. And I don't think we really want that. Uh, and I think more than that, I think there's some some sense that in a way the church is supposed to deliver me from, uh, you know, the need of faith. Like it's supposed to answer all my questions and take away all my doubts and take away all my fears. So I don't even have to be, I don't, you know, almost I don't need faith if the church does its job well. I know that's an overstatement, but that's sort of kind of the feel I get. Does that make any sense to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And other than, I mean, we get a tentative outline of how things end, right? Like a rough outline. But other than that, uh, between, you know, the Great Commission and glory, uh, we're just really not promised that much certainty. Yeah, and I think that, um, it, you know, we shouldn't necessarily even seek it. Um, this sense, uh, and not even certainty, but some assurance that things are going to work out. And I, again, mm-hmm. I think there's a mismatch of expectations because like all the biblical characters, obviously there was persecution. There was all sorts of things that happened to them that we would have, we would have thought was, you know, something that we, you know, we're past all of that. And that might, you know, one of mm-hmm. my, is, you know, one of the underlying things of this piece is like, we're not past all of that. And for instance, I don't know that there's been a huge amount of persecution, really, uh, in the church, but I do think it shouldn't shock us if, you know, we're not past all of that. And that could come. Yeah. And are we even thinking that that's something to we should be aware of? Uh, and Or is that something, you know, is that an arena for the display of faith? Um Anyway, I don't think, I don't think we're super ready for, uh, (laughs) right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So Keller said something really interesting one time because they were asking how his church was able to, um, kind of handle the response to nine 11 well being a church in Mm -hmm. New York. And one of the answers he gave is, well, we were already doing that work five years prior. So we had already created spaces for grief and doubt and uncertainty and questioning and like people in crisis. Like we built it out like we weren't waiting on 9-11 to happen Mm -hmm. to do those things. Mm -hmm. Like we already started to do those things and then we were more prepared. So, you know, you're never, I guess, 100 percent maybe prepared or expecting the weather balloon in your airspace or for something to crazy to happen. But I do think you have to be proactive because I think you're right. I don't think if persecution broke out in places against the church that uh, have enjoyed privilege for some time, um, I don't think we'd be, you know, ready at all 
Whereas, like, obviously, right. when the weather balloon enters the airspace, there's protocol, there's preparation. You're probably like, you probably weren't expecting it, but there's things to be done about it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think we should wait for um, the worst case scenario of an uncertain thing to then just react and say, well, I guess we better get tough now. Or, I bet, I, you know, oh, I guess we should you know, enter into that. I I think there's um, a a preparation, there's Mm -hmm. a maturity, there's a heart work, there's a, there's a mission to be prepared for even Mm -hmm. when things are good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, And I think it kind of circles back to, you know, where we started the expectation of what life should be. You know, I use the example of the leftovers, a show where everyone's expectations were smashed by this event, and then they kind of reacted in all sorts of extreme ways. And I do think we're, one of the reasons we're not ready for, you know, let's say persecution, is because we just have this expectation that something like that's not going to happen. And that's really not a biblical expectation. Now, it might not happen, um, but... Uh, you know, it, it certainly might, uh, and it is happening in other parts of the world, um, and has happened throughout history. If it started to happen here in some way that's direct or indirect, it, you know, it wouldn't matter. Um, you know, there were, there were, there are places where there was in, for instance, the Eastern Bloc countries before the wall fell, um, you know, there were ways in which, uh, Christians could be Christians, like for instance, in East Germany, you could be a Christian, but if you were a Christian, you didn't get a good job and your kids didn't go to college. So, mm. like, you know, that would be, um, so nobody was getting fed to the lions, but it was, it was persecution in which, you know, you were getting unfavorable, you know, treatment that, that impacted you in ways that, and I just think, the very notion of that outrages us in a way that in a way it is outrageous, but in a way it's outrageous that that could, that would never happen. That would never fly here. And I'm just not sure. uh, I'm not sure what wouldn't fly here in the next part of the things, you know, you know, listing how far back things are is it doesn't take long for the world to really change. Uh, you know, yeah. these events come along or these things come along. And um, so the expectation that I'm on mission, life's going to be hard. It's not always going to be easy to be a Christian. Faith is going to be required. There's going to be uncertainty. Uh, I'm, I think that's a difficult thing for us to, to hold on to and parse. And I almost feel like um, we feel like something's wrong if that's where we are, when really that's, it's where we're called to be, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I don't, I don't have a prescription. I just have an observation, uh, and you know, occasioned by a, a, a meteorological balloon that I'm sure wasn't a meteorological <laughs> balloon. And there's a lot of them, I guess. There's a lot of balloons that, that have gotten away from them. Uh, it seems like uh, after the first one, uh, we're just shooting them all down now. Uh, you know <laughs> anyway uh yeah so um yeah i think with that i you know hopefully our faith can lead us to a place where we can trust that god has us in his hands 
even if the future does not turn out to be pleasant for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where we should be and need to be. Um, and that's better than that's better than the future turning out pleasant uh, for us. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah. we'll leave it there. Uh, we're at the end of our time. Uh, uh, so until next time, uh, we'll talk again. Grace and peace. You've been listening to On Culture, a podcast of the Embassy Newsletter. Have a question? Send it to theembassy at substack.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.